Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, April 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the University of Mississippi Medical Center announces new clinical trials for treatments of COVID-19. And prison reform activists call for compassionate release due to worries over coronavirus transmission. Then, individual stimulus payments are being released. We check in with Congressman Michael Guest about the federal response to the pandemic. Plus, in our book club, best-selling author and Mississippian Ace Atkins. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The University of Mississippi Medical Center is moving into a new stage of COVID-19 response, conducting clinical research and trials on how to treat the disease. Dr. Galen Marshall, who serves as executive director of the Mississippi Clinical Research and Trials Center, describes the challenges of treating the coronavirus. So this coronavirus that is particularly difficult for us right now does two things. Number one, it infects us, obviously. And then our body, trying to respond to it, can sometimes overreact. And you'll hear the term cytokine storm used a lot. And this is particularly true in people that have more severe disease because that storm is almost like the lungs exploding. And it creates this SARS that people are talking about uh, uh, that can be fatal in these patients. So the clinical trials that we and others are doing are aimed at one of the two things, to either try to take the virus out of the equation or to try to mitigate or stop the effect of this cytokine storm on patients. UMMC will be one of 44 sites conducting a trial to study hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for inpatients with COVID-19. Dr. Alan Jones, professor and chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine and Clinical uh, and Clinical Lead for COVID-19 Response, will lead the UMMC study site. Hydroxychloroquine's been in existence for a long time. It's an anti-malarial drug. It, it modulates the immune system. And uh, there were some early reports that it may have some uh, good effects on patients with COVID-19. Recently, there have been several reports that have suggested that maybe it does not, and perhaps even it's detrimental. We do know that there are some side effects associated with it. The trial that I'm leading is a randomized trial of hydroxychloroquine versus standard of care, uh, and that's instituted early in the course of COVID-19 at the time of admission to the hospital. And the goal is to determine uh, if it prevents uh, death and respiratory failure 
from patients who have COVID-19 if it's instituted earlier in their course. Dr. Galen Marshall will be leading two studies in critical care patients, one trial which will test a monoclonal antibody as a treatment for severe COVID-19. The other trial, which Marshall hopes will become active next week, will treat critically ill COVID-19 patients with antibodies from patients who have recovered from COVID-19 in order to neutralize the virus. As individuals recover from the virus and they get well and they go back to their lives, Their bodies have made varying numbers of antibodies against the virus itself. Uh, Our uh, in-house, we have developed uh, the ability to look at the quantity of these antibodies, and in one in particular called a neutralizing antibody because it neutralizes the effect of the virus. And uh, now we are engaging volunteers from the community who have recovered and would like to be involved as potential donors of plasma. Once that plasma is characterized and put up, then a severe uh, COVID patient who has a need for that may be eligible, uh, and therefore they can have a unit of that plasma transfused back. In some other studies, there have been some dramatic improvements, and it's like in all these we expect a spectrum of improvement, but we now have multiple tools to address the moderate to very severe uh, COVID uh, patients that we expect to see. Dr. Marshall, through a statement released by UMMC, says he wants to make it clear that patients who participate in these trials and are assigned to the placebo arm of a clinical trial, meaning they will not receive the test therapy, will still receive quality care. The Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. Two sites will be available today, one in Holmes County at the Lexington Multipurpose Complex, the other in Wilkinson County at the County Emergency Management Agency. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the C Spire Health UMMC treatment app. The Delta Health Center is also offering separate one-day testing today in Bolivar County at the H. Jack Geiger Medical Center in Mount Bayou. Testing will be available there until 3.30 this afternoon. To stay current on the latest developments concerning the coronavirus in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Governor Tate Reeves is working on further efforts to support homeowners and first responders who are being stretched thin during the outbreak. Reeves is working with the Mississippi Home Corporation to reopen the hardest hit fund to provide short-term mortgage assistance to those who have lost employment or income due to the pandemic. If you have lost the ability to earn during this crisis through no fault of your own and you are at risk of losing your home, we can provide temporary help. It will not take over your home payments indefinitely. It will give you time to get your head above water, to find work, and to become self-reliant. The governor is also unveiling the Child Care Crisis Assistance and Isolation Response Plan. The C-Care plan is designed to serve as temporary emergency child care facilities during this crisis period for families listed as essential workers through last month's executive order. These personnel are serving on the front lines of this pandemic and are unable to isolate at home. The governor is expected to announce a decision regarding the state shelter-in-place order tomorrow morning. The order is set to expire Monday.
Coming up, prison reform activists call for compassionate release due to worries over coronavirus transmission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Prison reform advocates are calling on Mississippi officials to release inmates with pre-existing conditions to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Danielle Holmes is with the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition. She tells our Desiree Frazier they're getting calls from families of inmates saying their loved ones are in close proximity to offenders and staff with coronavirus symptoms. And they're asking Interim Commissioner Tommy Taylor for compassionate release. Families are calling in. Um, we do know that the media has, um, the governor, I mean, well, the state, MDLC has released um, articles saying that employees had contracted the virus. Um, they have been, and so they were on leave um, in quarantine. And so we know that those inmates, um, according to family um, and uh, incarcerated loved ones are saying that those officers, actually one was in particular, and um, at the Mississippi State Penitentiary Parchment, individuals um, were actually um, working in the kitchen with an officer that was exposed, that um, had contracted COVID. And so, and those same um, inmates were um, expected to go back and work in that environment. And these allegations come uh, from family that has actually reached out to us by way of their loved ones. Do you know that any tests have been done to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge, no. An inmate was tested. Um, well, one test, I, will, I do know that the inmate that recently passed away, uh, it is alleged that, in, according to the newspaper, article in the newspaper, information released by MDOC, that the individual was tested for COVID, um, had tested for COVID, had tested positive for COVID. So that was one test. Whether that test was done after Afterwards or before the individual died, I don't have that information. But according to families of those incarcerated individuals, are not being um, tested. What they're being done, what is being done, is that they're quarantining, and that, in other words, moving inmates from facilities to we know East Mississippi Correctional Facility, and they're moving them across from cells of individuals that don't have symptoms of um, the coronavirus. And so those family members are really up in roar um, and really concerned about inmates being in that close proximity, um, being quarantined right across the hall that only a door separates them in a hallway. Did you, what kind of response did you get uh, being outside of MDOC? What are you asking them to do? So there are several asks, right? We're asking them, number one, to release all of the, to release inmates um, that are, um, Within two years, nonviolent, low-class um, felonies uh, to release them to either house arrest or to do an early release on them. We're asking them to release those um, elderly, um, those are that in, that are incarcerated elderly, incarcerated individuals. We're asking them um, 
to release them to, in order to protect them from this virus. Danielle Holmes is with the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition. MDOC reports one inmate at Parchman died over the weekend. A postmortem test revealed he was positive for COVID-19. Recently, three staff members tested positive. Coming up, individual stimulus payments are being released. We check in with Congressman Michael Guest about the federal response to the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians, along with numbers of other Americans, are beginning to receive the individual stimulus payments that are part of the CARES Act passed by Congress last month to address the financial hardships caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Republican Congressman Michael Guest joins our Michael Guidry to discuss the rollout of those payments and the continued role of the federal government in fighting this crisis. You know, uh, the the hope is uh, is that this uh, original stimulus check that families will be receiving, uh, along with some of the other protections that were placed uh, into law uh, by passage of the CARES Act, will help Americans as we kind of bridge this this gap. Um, if for some reason uh, it is not enough, and if uh, the COVID nineteen uh, continues to extend uh, uh, well past what we hope. I believe that Congress is prepared to act with a a second stimulus package uh, once uh, we return to Washington uh, next month. Are there concerns over the status of the national debt, considering how much stimulus might be needed? You know, uh, at least for me personally, yes. Uh, You know, uh, one of the things uh, that I'm very concerned is uh, is, uh, the fact that, you know, the money that we are putting into these stimulus packages, uh, that money is it will be added to our debt, which will be paid by our children and grandchildren. And so uh, I believe that, that, that first and foremost that we have to help Americans get past uh, this critical stage in a worldwide pandemic. Uh, but I believe that once we're able to turn that corner, uh, I think we need to be very conscious about uh, continuing to add, in this case, trillions of dollars to our national debt. On the topic of of the the stimulus payments, the personal stimulus payments, it's been reported that the Treasury Department very recently uh, will print the president's signature on the paper stimulus checks, thereby delaying that process. Is this action prudent, considering some Americans, many Mississippians, have been facing the financial hardships of this pandemic for over a month now? Well, you know, uh, I know the Treasury's Department first and foremost hopes to deposit as many of these checks uh, as possible electronically. Um, as to you know whether or not the president's signature is or name is printed on those checks, you know, uh, you know that is not something that would be necessary. Uh, and if it would uh, in, uh, include expensive delays and those checks being delayed more than just a couple of days or so. Uh, then I would encourage the administration uh, to rethink that because, again, we do want to make sure that these checks are being received and being passed and being spent um, by hardworking Mississippians and that the money is being spent here in Mississippi as quickly as possible. The president claimed earlier this week that he had total authority to reopen the economy. Uh, He's walked that back some. Now he's saying that he will authorize each individual governor to implement a reopening plan for their individual state. But there's been no federal order or action to close businesses. There's been no federal stay-at-home orders. And all of those and all those measures are happening at the state level anyway. 
So is, isn't the assertion that the president can authorize states to roll back their own public health measures enacted by governors at the state level sort of constitutionally incongruent? You know, I, I, I would disagree with the president uh, that he has that ultimate say, the ultimate authority. I believe that that say and authority rests with the governors and the legislatures uh, of each state. Uh, I believe that the president uh, needs to continue to consult uh, with governors uh, across our country, uh, and there needs to be a both state and federal coordinated effort to work together to as quickly as possible uh, without uh, jeopardizing uh, the lives of Americans uh, to reopen the economy and return people back to work. Uh, but I do believe that that is something that will be decided on a probably a region-by-region region basis and will ultimately be decided by the governor and the legislation legislators of each of the 50 states in the union. What's the most important next step legislatively in managing this crisis? You know, uh, I, I believe, you know, that one of the things that we've got to do is make sure, and I know that we have uh, improved uh, the ability to test Americans each and every day, that we have expanded our testing capacity, uh, that we are starting to see the rollout of rapid tests where the results can be um, obtained in just a, a matter of minutes. We must continue to expand uh, our ability to test Americans so that we can safely reopen the economy. Uh, and I think that once we're able to safely reopen the economy, uh, then we need to look and we need to try to see what individuals need that, that Congress uh, and the administration needs to address. And so um, I think testing and taking care of the public health is first and foremost the most important thing. Uh, but then looking to see what we can do being the federal government working in conjunction with the state governments to reopen the economy. Congressman Guest, do you have any other messages for the people of Mississippi? You know, the only thing uh, that, that I would just like to say is uh, as it relates to the uh, Easter storm, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, along with the Governor Reeves and Senator Cindy Hodge-Smith, uh, tour many of the, the damaged areas uh, in uh, south-central Mississippi. Um, and uh, it was so encouraging to see uh, the outpouring of friends and neighbors and uh, public officials and law enforcement, uh, individuals uh, who were there just trying to help the, their fellow man. Um, you know, uh, in Mississippi, when there's a disaster, uh, we see an outpouring of friends and neighbors trying to help others. And, and we saw that this weekend. We see that continuing uh, as we speak. Uh, and so as we are continuing to deal with uh, COVID-19, uh, the state, the federal and local government is also working very diligently uh, for a uh, federal disaster declaration uh, that, will need, that will bring needed funds and needed relief to many of these hard-hit communities. Congressman Michael Guest, Republican, representing Mississippi's 3rd District. As always, Congressman, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Coming up in our book club, best-selling author and Mississippian Ace Atkins. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. If you know the work of best-selling author Ace Atkins, then you know who Quinn Colson is. The sheriff of a fictional county in Mississippi always tries to do the right thing as he faces nefarious ad- adversaries. In this ninth Quinn Colson novel, the sheriff investigates the death of a teenaged boy 20 years after the fact. Atkins talks with us about his book, The Shameless. You know, I think there's kind of an old-fashioned vibe about Quinn Colson. I think he's kind of cut from the same cloth as a lot of the old Western heroes, kind of a guy who represents, you know, standing up to uh, the bad guys and not necessarily uh, telling the truth or doing the right thing. So I think he's kind of a moral compass in very shifting times. Do you think over the nine novels he has evolved in certain ways? I don't know if Quinn has evolved as much as the bad guys have evolved. <laughs> it seems like today in society, it seems like the bad guys and the hypocrites and the people that seem more emboldened these days. But I think Quinn is kind of a guy that I probably could have had from the 1940s or from the 1970s. He's kind of an unchanging hero. Because he is a repeating character and, and your readers really know who he is and they're invested in him, do they ever ask you to have him do certain things or be a certain way? No, I don't think so. I, I sometimes have characters that people want to see return to the books because the books do evolve. And the town of uh, Jericho, Mississippi, and the, the fictional county of Tippah County, those places change. And some things get better, some things get worse. Some people come and go from that county. So there's popular characters that people know from maybe two, three books ago that I'll get letters about. Is when is that person coming out? Or, or more likely, uh, when is that person getting out of jail? And then that person can come back to the <laughs> What flavor of Mississippi do you bring to your fictional Tibaha County? I hope I bring a dose of, of realism of Mississippi. And um, I love Mississippi and I love uh, the Deep South. Uh, but, you know, I like to write about you know, all the issues. And I like to write about the good, the bad, and the ugly of Mississippi. So, you know, I like to write about its natural beauty and, the, you know, all the good stuff we have down here. But also at the same time, you know, we do have problems of corruption. Uh, we do have problems of poverty. We do have problems of racism. And I hope those books represent those as well. Tell us about the plot and what's going on with The Shameless. Well, we're going into episode nine, and this one is dealing with uh, an election uh, for to be the governor of Mississippi. And there's a guy who, as much as Quinn is cut from the cloth of an old-fashioned Western good guy, there's a guy that's cut from the same cloth as uh, some people from the past. In fact, his name is Vardaman, a name that really brings up a lot of images for people in Mississippi. And you've got a guy named Vardaman running for governor in Mississippi, and he's running on a ticket that does not represent the best of the South. He's really pandering to some of the worst fears and attributes of some things from long ago. That's really what the book is about. How does Quinn factor in? There is a case that is involving some criminals in Tibbahawk County that may or may not be connected to this person running on a populist platform in Mississippi. And Quinn is trying to get some straight answers and possibly get some kind of reckoning before this guy is running the whole state. Ace, you've written a lot of books in a relatively short period of time. It averages about two books a year. For the last 10 years, I have been writing two books a year. I do one book set in Mississippi, and then I do one book set in Boston. It's, it's been the schedule I've kept for almost a decade. Will you continue with that schedule? Is it a tough schedule? It's a pretty grueling schedule. I mean, 
you know, I think people have the idea that a writer is enjoying their life a little bit more and going on vacation and, and hitting happy hour and that kind of thing. But it's a job. <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's a job like anything else. And I live in Oxford, and I get up and I go to work, and I work every day. Most weeks I work on Saturday. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty tough job to keep up. I don't have any plans on changing it, and I like writing about those two areas. I like writing about the Deep South and those issues and then changing around and having some fun up in Boston. But for me, the Deep South, Mississippi, Quinn Colson, that world of Tippahaw County is something I want to continue doing for a very long time. These books are very organic. I mean, they're really drawn and, and inspired by things that are going on in the Deep South today. So there's no prep time. It's something that's happening in real time, um, you know, right here and now. It also speaks to your talent, your skills as a writer. It really speaks to my my ability to drink a lot of coffee. And so I, <laughs> I drink coffee, and I, you know, I, my background is I come out of the newsroom, and you work at the newsroom every day, and you sit down and you have stories to write. And for me, it's just that. I heard a writer one time, I could not believe it, said it took him four years before he could come up with the perfect sentence to begin his novel. I think that's probably a little bit nuts and maybe a little bit lazy. So for me, it's just a job. I sit down and I work. I'm inspired by what happens in the Deep South, both the good things and the bad things, and it just filters in, and it's a, it's a joy to write. Ace Atkins' latest book is The Shameless, and Ace, we wish you the best. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Karen. Always a pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.